One of the things I want to challenge you with is on our personal evangelism. Oftentimes in the Christian world, definitions change. And when definitions move away from a biblical definition into a more religious definition, it changes the methodology of how we do things. And last week I began to show you how the word discipleship has changed, that disciple no longer is a transition thing. It's no longer a door into the new life. It is instead now a, a lifetime process. And changing that definition causes the church to become very inward focused. And it's all about us. And it's all about becoming better Christians. And please, it is a good thing to become better Christians. But the focus of the church is never to be self-centered. It's never to just be focused inward. The focus of the church must always be go into all the world and preach the gospel. That is the Great Commission. The focus of the church must always be reaching out to others, preaching the good news, preaching the gospel to the poor. So I began to teach you last week that number one, discipleship is not a door, excuse me, it is not an endless process, it is not a, an endless pursuit. It is simply a door of transition. That a person becomes a disciple, not because a disciple or parks himself in their life. And we showed you how no place in the book of Acts do we find that being done. And not in the life of Jesus do we find it being done. Instead, what we find is Jesus said, number one, you need to believe in me. Number two, you need to hold the word, that incorruptible seed of the word, 1 Peter 1 verse 23. He said, when that word is planted in you, you need to hold my word in your heart. As you hold my word in your heart, the word is alive and active. It's working within you. It begins to change you. You know the truth. You know the truth by experience because it's changing you. And that truth sets you free. And he said, so that is how you become my disciple. It is, a, it is an event in our life, not a long-term process. Everybody say, an event. This, so we talked about People are born again by, first of all, the planting of the incorruptible seed. And we said, all right, that's the first planting. In fact, we're going to spend quite a bit of time dealing with that. And we said, secondly, after that planting takes, takes root, after the seed of God's Word, the seed of the gospel has been planted in our heart and it begins to take root, then God takes us as the planting of the Lord and He plants us first in His harvest field. Secondly, He plants us by the Holy Spirit. We'll get into these in a lot more detail in the weeks ahead. Thirdly, we're planted in Jesus. We're planted in the house of God. We're, we're planted in the promises and destiny he has for our lives. And we're planted in a place of love. But I want to move on from there. And I want us to begin to see the planting ministry that Jesus lays out in the parable of the sower and the seed. Because Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable... How will you understand any of the parables? How will you understand any of the principles of the kingdom? This parable is necessary to understand all the other teachings that Jesus made about the kingdom. So I want to start today with simply the first principle of planting. Productive planting requires being concerned about where you plant the seed. Everybody say, be concerned about where I plant the seed. Matthew 13, beginning with verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. 
And great crowds gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. The whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Now he interprets this first portion of the parable in verses 18 and 19. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now the first thing I want us to see here is that seed is wasted. Everybody say, wasted seed. Seed is wasted when it is sown along the path. Everybody say, wasted seed. Now, there's two principles I want you to get out of this. First of all, I want you to see that seed is wasted when it is sown in a place of activity and not in a place of quietness. Sown along the path, verse 4. Verse 19, sown along the path. Luke 8, Luke 8, verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. New Living Translation says, where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Now, anybody knows that, that if you throw seed on a path, there's too much activity for the seed to be quiet and take root. Everybody say, quietness. It's getting kicked around. It's getting moved from one place to another. And because of that, it can never take root. Every farmer will tell you that if you want seed to grow, you put it in the ground and don't touch it. It needs to be left alone. Everybody say, left alone. Now, the principle that I want you to see is this. Before you plant the incorruptible seed, 1 Peter 1.23, before you plant the incorruptible seed of the Word of God in people's lives, you must first get them to a place of focus and not a place of distraction. Imagine going to the market to your favorite suki who sells you chicken. And while you're telling them, listen, can I tell you about Jesus? Can I talk to you about what Jesus did for you? And while you're talking to them, somebody walks up and says, how much are two drumsticks? I want one kilo. I want a quarter kilo. No, 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 no. Only dark meat. I only want wings and thighs. Can you imagine trying to talk to that person about Jesus in the middle of all of that distraction? The seed is not going to be able to take root. It's hard to share the gospel with people in a place of busy activity. You need to get them to a place of quietness, a place where they're not desert, dis disturbed, a place where they can focus on hearing the gospel. Now, there, there's a reason for this. Look at verse 4 again, Matthew 13. It fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured. Verse 19, the evil one comes, Satan, and snatches away what has been sown in their heart. The reason why the seed is so wasted is while you were sitting there trying to share with them the gospel, 1 Peter 1.23, that planting of the incorruptible seed, and everybody else was talking, that word could never unite with their heart. And I'll talk about this word unite in just a moment. The word could never unite with their life. It's being kicked around. It's being pushed around. And the next thing you know, you leave and you go, well, I tried to tell them about Jesus. 
But you have to understand you have opposition in the harvest field. And that opposition is Satan. As soon as you walk away, Satan comes and steals the word sown in their heart. Everybody say, steals the seed. Now, Satan cannot let that seed of the gospel stay in their life. Because remember, Peter says, the incorruptible seed, you're born again by the planting of the incorruptible seed, the living and abiding Word of God. The Word of God is alive. It's what? Now, if Satan left it in that person's heart, at some point, they're going to stop the busyness. They're going to sit down. They're going to begin to relax. And as soon as they come to a place of quietness and the Word begins to be alive in them and begins to put down roots in them, they're going to begin to believe and we're going to see salvation. So Satan doesn't let it stay there. He said, the Bible says, Jesus said, he comes by and steals it. Everybody say, the stolen seed. Now the whole problem here is with the next concept. It nev they never understand. Everybody say, never understand. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in their heart. Now, the, he, the Greek word here for understand means to set together or to unite. It is a bringing together. When you plant the incorruptible seed of the Word of God in somebody's life, it must unite with them. Everybody say, unite with them. Say it again. It has to come together with them. Now the word here, the, the Greek word that is used here is metaphorically used to understand, to perceive, to comprehend. But it does, in order to perceive, to understand, to comprehend, there has to be a uniting. There has to be an integration. Everybody say integration. The Word of God has to begin to put down roots, and we're going to talk a lot about roots over the next few weeks. The Word of God has to begin to put down roots in that person's life. So again, the issue is, with all that busyness, they can't understand. With all that busyness, the gospel cannot unite with their heart. Everybody say, unite. So Satan just comes and steals it away, and forgive me, it was a wasted evangelism effort. It was wasted seed. But now take this a bit farther. There are some other things that can stop people from understanding or the Word of God being united with their life. One of them is strongholds. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5, For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now he defines strongholds. These aren't, aren't demonic things out there in the world. I'm coming against strongholds. That's silly, charismatic voodoo and witchcraft. He defines strongholds. Verse 5, we demolish arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Paul had lived this. As a Jewish, very successful Jewish leader, no doubt a member of the Sanhedrin court, all during Jesus' ministry, Paul had heard all the arguments against Jesus. Oh, he cannot be the Messiah because Elijah must come first. That was the, the standard 
statement put out by the Sanhedrin. He, 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 he can't be the Messiah because Elijah must come first. They'd forgotten all about John the Baptist. He heard all the arguments against Jesus. He can't be the Messiah. Messiah comes from Bethlehem. Jesus comes from Nazareth. Well, they forgot he'd been born in Bethlehem. All the arguments. And those arguments had built up strongholds in Paul's heart so that he led the greatest persecution against the church in, in the book of Acts. In Acts 8, drove every single Christian from Jerusalem with the exception of the 12 apostles. Drove everybody away. Breathed out violence. Put people in jail. People were killed for their faith. He stood as witness of the stoning of Stephen. Feeling justified. He had his arguments. Now when you've got a brain full of arguments, strongholds, it's very hard for the gospel to take root in a life. It's very hard for the gospel to unite with the person's heart. There's a second thing, eyes blinded. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 and 4. Paul said, but if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light. Now, seeing in the Bible is, again, a metaphor for understanding. To keep them from understanding the light of the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. Stony path. For to this day when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is the veil taken away. So a stony path is not just a person who's maybe too busy, there's too much activity. It's a person who cannot understand because their heart has been hardened. There's a veil over their mind. Too many stronghold arguments have been raised up in their mind. And you and I are going to have to understand, if we, if we want to be productive in giving the good news of Jesus to people, we, we have to understand how to deal with this. Well, Pastor Summerall, I think we should take a class in apologetics. Really? Really? Have you ever noticed in 40 years as your pastor, I've never taught you apologetics? Have you ever noticed that in our school of pastoral study, there are no courses on apologetics? I've read the books. They're nonsense. Paul was very clear. People should not be saved by the persuasive words of man's wisdom. They should be saved because they've seen a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we think we can demolish arguments by having a better argument, Please forgive me, brothers and sisters, we're not that smart. The world is very smart in putting together arguments against God. The devil's been doing it since the beginning of the book of Genesis. Please, you, you cannot out-argue out people with your apologetics. It may make us feel very clever. It may make us feel very smart. We got a few cute answers. But that's not what breaks down the strongholds. That's not what takes away the veil. That's not what changes their stony heart into a heart that can receive the planting of the seed of the Word. You say, well, what is, Pastor? 
we'll look back at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 14. English Standard Version says, because only through Christ is the veil taken away. New Living Translation says, and this veil can only be removed by believing in Jesus. By what? Now, you're going to understand why we spent so much time on John 8 last weekend. The veil is taken away by believing in Jesus. What is the very first step in becoming a disciple? The planting of the Word or believing in Jesus? Believing in Jesus. Everybody say, believe in Jesus. Say it again. John 8, beginning with verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just what the Father has taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. And as He was saying these things, what things? As He was saying things that revealed who He was, Everybody say, presented himself. As he was saying these things, as he was presenting who he was, many believed in him. Everybody say, believed in him. Verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had, past tense, who had believed in him, if you hold my words in your heart, you will know the truth. Know by experience the truth, and the truth will set you free. You'll have a changed life, and so you will be my disciple. That's the born-again experience. Now, the problem with us in Christianity is that we have somehow, again, changed the definition. And we make believing in Jesus equivalent to salvation. And I'm sorry. Believing in Jesus is a first step. But believing in Jesus is not equivalent to salvation. Think with me. James chapter 2 verse 19. The demons believe and tremble. Think with me through the rest of John chapter 8. I told you to go home and read it last week. Think with me through the rest of John chapter 8. Speaking to these people who believed in him, Jesus said to them, to the people who believed in him, you're practicing sin. To the people who believed in them, Jesus said, you want to kill me. To the people who believed in him, Jesus said, you're of your father the devil. To the people who believed in him, Jesus, Jesus says, you want to stone me. Now, excuse me, does that sound like they're disciples? Does that sound like they're born again? No, they believe in Jesus. But they've never bowed their hearts to him. Now, please, I want you to see this because this is so important in our evangelism. If we are going to present the gospel to people who have strongholds in their minds, their minds are veiled to the gospel by Satan, uh, they're, they're so busy, the busyness we take care of in a different way, but if we're going to get through the, the hardness of people's hearts, we have to understand our first step is to talk to them about who Jesus is. Not what he has done, who Jesus is. 
we have to follow the same pattern Jesus followed in John 8. Jesus presented who he was, and many believed in him. And to those who believed in him, he talked to them about the planting of the gospel in their heart. He talked to them about holding the word in their heart. He talked to them about the gospel changing them, the living and abiding word of God changing them and becoming his disciples. Now think with me. The Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 21, verses 14 through Acts chapter 22, verse 11. As Paul gives his testimony about salvation. Paul had a very hard heart. Paul heard all the strongholds. Paul was an incredible intellect. And please forgive me, I don't care how many apologetics courses you may have studied, you would have a very difficult time with the Apostle Paul. He's brilliant. But something happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. Jesus appears to him. And Paul says, who are you, Lord? And what did Jesus say to Paul? He gives his testimony here in Acts 21 and 22. He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He says the same, we see the same thing and the actual testimony recollection in Acts chapter 9. Who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Before the planting of the word, there was a presentation of who he is. Everybody say, presentation of who he is. Now, if you are going to be successful in planting the seed of the Word of God in people's hearts for salvation, you have to recognize the very first thing you have to do is present Jesus. Not His work, but who He is. Think with me of the two men on the road to Emmaus. These men did not believe in Jesus. These men were not disciples of Christ. But they were very concerned about everything that they've said that day. Verse 18 of Luke 24 says, Then one of them named Cleopas answered, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, Jesus said. And they said, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. He doesn't believe in Jesus yet. Jesus is just a prophet. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and he, and he was crucified. Now, Look on down a little bit. Verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The things, everybody say, himself. Not about what he did, but about who he was. So he sat down with these men who were very concerned but didn't believe in him. They just thought he was a prophet. And he said, let me show you who I am. Now let me apply this truth. And we're not just plain semantics. This is, this, is, this, is, this is beyond semantics. This is practical reality. Again, we must learn to present Jesus before we present what Jesus has done. Before we present his sufferings and death, we must pr present who he is. Remember with me Mark chapter 1 verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all about who Jesus is. Halingbawa. If a gunman walked here into the building right now, came up here on the platform with a 45 in his hand and began to shoot at people, and I jumped in front of the bullet and took one in the head, I died for you. Wonderful. I died for you. 
but is that going to get you to heaven? See, it doesn't matter what somebody did. It matters who did it. Did you understand what I just said? Before the relevance of what somebody did takes on any significance, it, it is first, who did it? If a man died on a cross for you, so what? It's not going to make any changes. But if the Son of God died on the cross for you, if Messiah, if the Christ died on the cross for you, if the one virgin born died on the cross for you, if the creator and sustainer of all things died for you, if the sinless Lamb of God, one who never sinned, died for you, now all of a sudden what he did is important. What he did becomes important because of who he is. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? So before we talk about what he did, we have to make sure people understand and believe who he is. Now think about how the, the, this principle was implemented. When Philip was witnessing to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, verses 32 to 35, it said, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with that scripture in Isaiah, he told him the good news about Jesus. Acts 5, verse 42, the apostles in the temple courts. Every day in the temple courts and from house to house, they did not stop teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They weren't talking about the work. They were talking about who he is. Acts chapter 9, verse 20, Paul's salvation. As soon as he got saved, what did he go and immediately begin to do in the synagogue in Damascus? And immediately he proclaimed, Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the Son of God. He didn't run into the synagogue and say, Jesus died on a cross for you. He walked into the synagogue and proclaimed, Jesus is the Son of God, who Jesus is. Acts 9.22, Paul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. The beginning of the church in Antioch of Assyria, Acts 11, verse 20. Men of Cyprus and Cyrene who were coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Acts 8, verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Acts 18, verse 28. Apollos in Ephesus. So he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. Paul in Thessalonica, Acts 17, verse 3, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and raise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Now you look at Paul, some of Paul's writings, like to the church of the Philippians, and Philippians 1, verse 18. He said, what then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. He said, listen, I know people do this with bad motives, but he said, the only thing that matters to me is that Christ is proclaimed. To the church of Corinth, Paul learned such horrible lessons in the city of Athens as I taught you in the book of Acts. He walked into the city of Athens and pulled out his apologetics. 
and began to talk to them about, you know, all these things. By the time Paul got to Corinth a few days later, he said, when I came among you, I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, I'm not going to play this game anymore. I'm just going to present Jesus. Everybody said, present Jesus. Colossians 1.28, he said, we proclaim him. Now, I know I'm belaboring the point, but this is where so much damage has been done to world evangelism. We, Paul said, we don't preach ourselves, we preach Christ. We don't present the church, we present Christ. And before you start presenting the rapture and the second coming, the second coming doesn't mean anything unless people understand who he is. The rapture doesn't mean anything unless people understand who he is. Before you present healing, Jesus promised to heal you. Well, great. Who made the promise? We sing the song. Who made the promise? We have to understand that the first emphasis of our message, if we are going to be a successful planter, the first emphasis of our message is not what he has done or what he's going to do. And please, I don't say this in any way to be critical of anybody, but it's not about, let me tell you about Jesus who, who wants to give you your best life. It's about presenting Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's about laying out to people who Jesus is. It's about telling the story of his love, telling the story of his compassion, telling the story of who he is, that he is the only begotten Son of God. He was virgin born. He came into this world as the second Adam. He came into this world as the spotless Lamb of God. And you begin to present to people that Jesus is the Son of God. Everybody say, He is God. Remember, that was the big fight when he walked this earth. People say, oh, he claims that he's equal with God. He is God. And please forgive me. If I die for you, big deal. If Pastor Garcia dies for you, big deal. But when God dies for you, when the Son of God dies for you, when the Son of God takes your punishment for your sins, when the sinless Son of God, one who has never sinned, he who knew no sin became sin, all of a sudden, all that he has done takes on total significance to a person because who this is who did all of this. Now, before we can go on to all these other principles, the next one we'll be studying in a few weeks is, is retaining a new disciple's walk with God helping them face the persecution and things. But before we can go any farther, we have to understand we must learn to present Jesus. The pattern that Jesus followed in John 8, he revealed to people who he was. They believed in him. Then he teaches us how to become a disciple. The first step in the planting ministry is forget about all that other stuff you've learned. Present Jesus. I remember when I was a baby Christian, I had all these evangelism techniques memorized. The Roman road, 
God's path. I mean, all these things. And you know what? They never worked very well. What works is sit down and tell people about the one you love. Sit down and tell people about Jesus. Let people begin to see who he is. Just because they believe he's the Son of God now doesn't mean he's saved, but it means that their hearts are ready for the planting of the seed of the Word. Did you learn something? Everybody say, start with Jesus. Say it again, please. That's really all I want you to get out of it. I've laid out all these verses and verses and verses because I wanted to drive it home. When you talk to people about salvation, start with Jesus. Just tell everybody who Jesus is. And everybody said? And everybody said? Would you stand with me, please? Would you take your communion? Now, before we go any farther, if you're here and your life is not right with God, <laughs> you've heard enough. It probably shocked you that believing in Jesus is not the same as salvation. Demons believe. They're not saved. People who believed in Jesus hated him and wanted to kill him and stone him. But it does mean your heart has been prepared. It does mean your heart is open to hear what he did for you. And what he did for you was so significant. He, the Son of God, died on a cross to take the punishment of your sins so that you could be forgiven. He rose again from the dead so that you could have a new life. Not just be forgiven, but left in your sins. Have a brand new life. This is what Jesus did for you. With all the suffering that he took on the cross, he redeemed you from the curse of the law so that all the blessings of Abraham and all the covenants of promise could flow to your life. He, the Son of God, did this for you because he loves you. Now, if you're here, I'd like every head bowed, please, every eye closed. If you're here and you say, Pastor Samra, my life is not right with God. I want to turn from my sins. I want to repent of my sins. And I want Jesus to change my life. He did all of this for me. Not to give me a new religion, but to give me a new life. You say, Pastor Samra, I want that new life. I want that forgiveness. I want to be changed. I want to be a different person. I want to be what Jesus called being born again. I'd like you to raise your hand up high right now. I'd like to pray for you. If that's what you want, put your hands up high. I want to pray for you. Yes. Up in the balcony, just lift your hands. Other others, lift your hands up high. Yes. Put your hands up high. all the other campuses. Now those of you that put your hand up high will keep social distancing. Forgive me, this is our first altar call in two years. 
I want you to step up from where you're standing come right down to the front. Here at Main Campus, all of our other campuses, step out and come right down to the front right now. Come. Those of you that are still listening to us at home, I want you to stand up out of whatever chair you're sitting in and move toward the TV set or move toward your phone or computer or whatever you're doing, watching. Come, don't be shy. There were others. Come. Don't be shy. We'll wait for you. Other others in the other campuses step out and come. I'd like all of you to pray a simple prayer. We've got one more coming. That's good. Thank you so much, sir. Give him a hand as he comes down. Look up at me, please. Look up at me. God loves you. Amen? God loves you. He cares about you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He gave His Son to die on the cross for you. I want you to follow me in a very simple prayer. Ulita Natan, Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you. I thank you for your great love. Jesus, I know you are the Son of God. And you loved me. And you died for me. This night, I turn away from my sin. I turn to you. I can't change my life. I've tried and failed. But I come to you. Forgive me and change my life. Change my whole future. From this day forward, I will follow you. And serve, you. and serve you in Jesus name, in Jesus name. and everybody said Amen. now I'd like you to follow Pastor Melissa can you just follow Pastor Melissa right this way for just a few minutes come right this way And this bread represents his body that was broken for me, my Savior and my God loved me so much. He took all the punishment for all of my sins just because he loves me. I remember. What my, what my Savior did for me. Let us partake of the bread together. Ulita Nat, in this cup, 
represents the blood of Jesus that washed away all my sins, all the records of my past have been erased from the books of heaven by the blood of Jesus. I've been justified by the blood. I've been brought near to the presence of the Father by the blood. All the shame, has guilt has been removed from my heart so that I can serve a living God. I remember what the blood of Jesus has done for me. Let us partake of the cup together. Beloved, evangelism was never meant to be difficult. We make it difficult when we try to make it theological and full of apologetics. Stay on message. Don't talk about the church. Don't talk about us. Talk about Jesus. He's the one who died. <laughs> 